God, your love never fails. Your love never fails, God. We praise you this morning. Your love never fails. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You've promised to be with us, even when it seems that the oceans are raging. And when we feel like we might be all alone, you are faithful. You are with us. Your love never fails. Jesus, we ask that you would open up your word to us this morning. Continue to speak to us. Holy Spirit, continue to speak to our hearts. Give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're continuing our series this morning in Genesis chapter 39. We're going to be reading all of chapter 40 today. And our series, Living the Dream. And today, if you've been reading ahead like I like to do and Somebody tells me where they're going. I, I skip ahead to see the end of the story. And uh, so if you've been reading ahead, you know that we're talking about the dreams in the dungeon today. We're talking about that part of uh, Joseph's life when he was in the dungeon. And just to give you all a quick update, uh, last time I was here, I was here with my wife and uh, for the theme service. And we were talking about how we feel that we're at this place where we're living the dream. And we shared about how the journey that we've been on and how God has uh, miraculously brought things together in our lives. And uh, we talked about uh, being in this process of adopting three kids and how God, in the course of six days from when we kind of made those final steps for the adoption, provided a house that we would fit in and uh, miraculously were able to afford the house and all that kind of stuff. It was just really, really powerful thing in our lives, and, and we feel like we're living the dream right now. We've got, God's blessed us with this, with this family and uh, a place to live that's just great, and we're across the street from some good friends and uh, beginning to experience just a whole other stage of life. We're very thankful. We're very blessed. We have no idea how we got here, and we keep looking at each other going like, what's happening? How did this happen? We weren't really looking for this, and yet this here we are, um, sitting in front of a fireplace that's never been used before. So last night we broke it in and found out that, turns out if you don't use a fireplace for 50 years, you've got to clean it first. <laughs> so here we had this hour set aside for sitting in front of the fireplace, and it took me 45 minutes to get it ready. And we had 15 minutes of sitting in front of the fire. But it was good, it was good. And uh, so we're living the dream, but there was a point in our lives where we felt like we were going through a dungeon time. There was, oh, it was about four years where, some of you know this story, so I'll just abbreviate, um, but Sarah and I had, uh, had been married for a bit, and we thought we were going to have kids soon, and we, Sarah got pregnant, and we were all excited and invested in this idea. We had all these dreams of what was going to happen and who this child would be, and we lost that baby. And then in the next year, we lost another baby, and the next year, we lost another baby, and then we couldn't get pregnant after that. And we're going, what's going on? And it was four years of this part of our lives felt dead and dry and dark and felt like we were 
in this lifeless and hopeless place. And hope became a very important word for us. And other parts of life were going at kind of at different, different speeds and in different places. But this part of our lives was like we definitely weren't living the dream. And we had these dreams of what God had called us to. And we couldn't see any of it. And now for us to say that we feel like we're living the dream, because we, you know, we never thought we'd have a family of five kids. Now we do. And uh, God's brought restoration. God's brought a lot of um, miracles to bring us to this place. But we were at this point for four years of our lives where we felt like, God, what's going on? I don't understand. You've, you've given us this, this knowing that you've called us to be parents, and yet we don't have any kids. How does that work? And now we've got five. So God is good. I don't know if you've ever felt that, that way or if there's a place in your life right now that you feel like you have these dreams. Maybe it's been a dream that you had while you were sleeping or a waking dream of these ideas of what God has for your life. And you look at where you're at right now and you're, you're looking around going like, what's going on? God, I thought you promised that, that you were going to do this or that you were going to do that. And I don't see that. All I see is darkness. Maybe, maybe you're there to, today or maybe you've been there at some point in the past. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe for you it's a similar story to our story. Maybe for you it's, it's a, with a job or what you feel called to do with your life and you're just not seeing that now. Joseph knew what that was like. And uh, Joseph and a few others in the Bible were a real inspiration to us while we were going through this. And it turns out that this is kind of a normal process for vision in the course of our lives, where there's this birth of a vision, something grows up inside of you and you feel, this is what I'm called to do. And many times, it looks like the vision has died. The dream is dead. There's nothing that can bring that back to life. And then God resurrects the dream. And you move on kind of into the life of that dream. And this can be happening at various levels in the different areas of our lives. In one place, you could be in a certain part of your life, you could be like, I am living the dream. And in another part of your life, you could be going, I'm in the dungeon. But there's that process that dreams go, tend to go through. And we were at that place of being in the dungeon, and we pick up the story of Joseph when he's in the dungeon. In Genesis chapter 39, verse 20. So if you would, you can follow along in your Bibles. Genesis chapter 39, verse 20. This is right after um, he got set up by Potiphar's wife. And... Potiphar comes back and finds out what's going on or what his wife says is going on. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. 
The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge, because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Sometime after this, the cupbearers of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in the custody of the house of the captain of the guard, in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. Now, just to note, the captain of the guard was Potiphar. So, unless there was a a death and a transition, it was probably Potiphar that put these um, officials in Joseph's care, not to give, not to put Joseph over them, but for Joseph to serve them. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, We have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to to him, This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly, when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eaten out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hands. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph but forgot him. Wow. So Joseph was in the dungeon. He was in this place of darkness, disappointment, delay of the dream that he had. Wondering, probably wondering, why? Why is this happening to me? If anybody ever had a reason to say, that's not fair, it would be him. It's like, all I did was the right thing, and it keeps getting worse. This is messed up. So, what did he do in that place? What did he do in the dungeon? When he's sitting there, having been falsely accused, sitting there with all of these what-ifs, 
what if I hadn't followed my dad's direction that day and gone to see my brothers? What if when I saw them running towards me, I turned around and ran away? What if I had started working out sooner so that I could outrun them? You know what? He could have asked a lot of questions when he was there. What if I hadn't gone into Potiphar's wife's room that day? What if I just had said yes? What if I had sinned? Then I wouldn't be here. So he's stuck in the dungeon, disappointed, maybe even angry. At least he had the chance to be, right? He had the temptation to be angry. Why wouldn't you? It's not like this was uh, one of those places that are around here called prisons that have flat screen TVs and workout rooms. This was not a comfortable place to be. More than likely, when he refers to it as the pit, more than likely he ended up in the same type of situation he was when his brothers threw him into a pit. Uh, Many times what they would use as a prison would be either a cistern or a cesspool that was dried out, something low, something dark, something covered, dank, nasty. And very interestingly enough, from what, from what I can tell here, it was close to Potiphar's house. Because <laughs> it was part of his compound, what would have been his, his land of the captain of the guard. He would have had this house for the royal prisoners. And in that house, there would have been uh, the overseer of the prison or the warden, who was the one who who's with Joseph. Joseph found favor with him. So the warden there over that group of prisoners put him in charge and gave him things to do. So he probably had some form of freedom as he walked about and did these things he was entrusted to do. But it wasn't like he was living large. It wasn't like he was the right-hand man to the captain of the guard anymore. He's been demoted several times, and this is about the bottom of the list. All that he has left to do is die at this point. I mean, he's in prison, and he's a slave in prison. He's not even just in prison. You know, he's not like he's in chains and he's just sitting around going like, all right. But they're like, man, you look like you could do something. You're useful. Let's make you work while you're here. Here are these other royal prisoners. You're going to attend to them. You're going to work for them. It's like, but we're both in prison. Why me? Make somebody else do it. But he didn't react that way. That wasn't his response. He actually faithfully used his gifts to serve others and to point people to God while he was in prison, while he was in the dungeon. It says in verse 21 that the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. Now that could look like a really good thing. Whatever was done here, there, he was the one who did it. But that also is, he was serving. He was working. It wasn't like he said, well, this is the end of the road for me. There's nowhere to go from here. I'm in prison. He was doing a lot. He was serving, even in that place of being in the dungeon. And the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge, because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. He was faithful in that place. 
so that even there appears to be he had some freedom within that prisoner house to not be confined to the dungeon the whole time, but that he was serving throughout that place. But he was faithful, so much so that the warden didn't have to worry about things because he was taking care of it. They don't normally do that in prisons. I don't think I've, I've ever seen that in any prison in the world where they're like, hey, let's put this prisoner in charge. What would happen if we put prisoners in charge? Well, they'd probably bust out, right? They're like, this guy is faithful. He's honest. Maybe they realized over the course of the, of the time he was in the prison there, this is one of those people who was falsely accused. You know, the I didn't do it. It wasn't me. This one's probably one of those. And that's why I can trust him. Who knows? But he used his gifts to serve faithfully. And he pointed others towards God when he had the opportunity. So he's serving these two royal officials, the cupbearer and the baker. And he comes in and he notices something's wrong. It says their faces are downcast. They look sad or they look disturbed when he walks in the room. And he says to them, um, ask them what's wrong. And they say, we have had dreams and there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So he, from what we've heard in his story so far, he obviously has an ability so far to understand and interpret dreams. And it seems to actually have been a fairly common thing that, that people expected there to be an interpretation to dreams and people expected that dreams were a normal part of life. So he says, don't interpretations belong to God, kind of points them to God, and he asks them for the dreams. They tell him the dreams, and the one gives him this really, this really positive dream, and, and he gives him a positive interpretation. So the other guy, who was probably thinking that birds eating out of the basket on top of his head was a bad thing, goes, hey, that one went well. Why didn't you interpret mine? And it was not a positive interpretation. And he was right, and it, it did not go well for him. But he knew that interpretations came from God, so he asked God for the interpretation. And even in the place of the dungeon, he gave an interpretation. He used his gifts to serve others, knowing that that would actually benefit them, that they would be lifted up out of that place of being in the dungeon, and he might be left behind. So he asks, don't forget about me. Because I believe he he would ask something like that because he didn't lose hope in that place. Because he knew that God was with him. Because if you don't have hope, why bother asking? Right? This is the end of the road for me. Yeah, you're going to get promoted. You're going to live. You're going to die. All right, see you later. I'll give up or come around at lunchtime with your food. But he asked, you know, when you are lifted up and when you are in that place, don't forget about me. Because he knew that there's this vision, this dream that God gave me years ago. It's coming. So at at this point, it's about 11 years from when he was a teenager that had that vision and then was sold into slavery. 11 years later of having been a servant in Potiphar's house and now having been in prison. And if if you read the rest of the story, you find out that it actually took two more years from having interpreted this dream to where they go, oh yeah, that guy, that guy that interpreted my dream. What's his name? Can't remember, but this guy told me what my dream meant and actually is part of why I'm here today. Go get him out of prison. 
Two years later. But at this point, it's been about 11 years that he's been in this process and he hasn't yet lost hope. It doesn't appear to be bitter because even when he references what happened with his brothers, he talks about having been stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And not, he didn't get, doesn't appear to have given them a pity party type story. Yeah, my brothers betrayed me. I was just taking them food and checking up on them, and they, uh, they beat me up and threw me in a hole, sold me as a slave. And then this lady that thought I was attractive, because after all, I was the most attractive guy in the land, uh, she, she tried to pounce on me, and I ran away, and she took my cloak, and now I'm stuck here. I'm falsely accused. It wasn't me. I didn't do it. I mean, he doesn't do that. He just says, I've done things that have not, that it's, I've been falsely put in this place. Tell Pharaoh. That's it. I don't, I, you know, he doesn't go on and on and on with a, with, a, with a sob story, which if he would have been bitter, he probably would have, especially about his brothers. Remember me. So get me out of this house because I have more life to live than what's in this dungeon. Very interesting that if if Joseph hadn't been faithful to serve even in the dungeon, he wouldn't have been placed over all of the things in the prison, which would have meant that he would have never been attending to the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, which meant that he would have never had the opportunity to interpret that dream so that two years later, the Pharaoh could hear from the chief cupbearer and say, hey, there's somebody who can interpret your dream. He's in prison. And that, that, that kind of thing just didn't magically happen. He was faithful, even in the dungeon. And God took all of those things and made them work together for good. Even in the dungeon, he was faithful. And for me, that's kind of an overriding part of this story. He didn't lose hope, and he was faithful. And if you look at the whole story of Joseph, his whole life, he was faithful. God was with him in that dungeon. The Lord was with Joseph, showed him steadfast love and gave him favor. The keeper of the prison didn't have to worry about anything because the Lord was with him. This is pretty significant. God was with him and gave him favor in that place of faithfulness. I would almost venture to say that favor follows faithfulness. When we choose to be faithful in the things that God entrusts to us, then God's favor follows that. So it's not like God is playing favorites with Joseph but he was making a choice to follow and obey and to do the right thing, even in the dungeon. And for us, there are different kinds of dungeons. Like I mentioned before, I don't know where you're at today, and we're kind of all in different processes, but sometimes the dungeon for us is a dungeon of darkness. It's a dungeon of being in a place of dryness, feeling a withdrawal of the presence of God, facing a big decision and not knowing what to do. Kind of like I'm walking in the dark. God, I don't know what to do. Show me what to do. And you feel like you're trapped. 
in that place of darkness, which sometimes can turn into a place of depression, because I don't know what to do. God, I feel like you're not with me. I'm despairing. You're not tangible. Everybody seems to be feeling you, and everybody seems to be responding to you here in the service, but I'm like, what's going on? Where are you, God? And maybe the dungeon that that you're in today is, is you're feeling trapped in a place of darkness, or maybe you're in a place of disappointment. Maybe you're disappointed with yourself for mistakes that you've made that you feel have led you to be in a place of being trapped now. Maybe you're disappointed with others, like Joseph could have been with his brothers. You feel trapped. Maybe the dungeon is a place of delays, delayed answers. You're waiting for God to move. You're waiting for God to answer. And you're going, how long, O Lord? How long? Who can ever understand God's timing except in retrospect? We talk about hindsight being 2020. When we turn around and we see what God was doing throughout the timing, we go, oh, wow, thank you, God, that this didn't happen before. Thank you that you didn't answer me the way I wanted you to answer, because now I see. But at the time, we're going, how long, O oh Lord? How long? Where are you? And that can leave us, leave us in a place where we feel like we're trapped and we feel like we're in this dungeon. We feel like maybe we're being punished for things that we didn't do and we don't even know what those things were. I want to encourage you today to, like Joseph, don't lose hope because God is with you. Like Joseph, faithfully use the gifts that God has given you to serve others and to point people towards God, even in the dungeon. Because it could be that in, you, in being faithful and in using those gifts, that is your way out of the dungeon. That is your way out of that place of darkness. That is your way out of that place of disappointment. That is your way out of that place of despair. Faithfully using gifts to serve. So, what is God calling you to be faithful in today? Are you using your gifts that he's given you to serve others, to point people to God? Or are you going like, someday I'm going to use these gifts God has given me. As soon as I get out of this prison, as soon as I get out of this dark place that I'm in right now, I'm going to use these gifts. I'm going to change the world. Or are you saying, man, I'm going to start small. I'm going to start where I am today. I'm going to start in this what appears to be this dungeon, and I'm going to serve what, this, what appears to be this prison master. But I'm going to serve. I'm going to be faithful to use to do what God has called me to do. Are you pointing other people to God, even in this place, of saying, you know what, God is with me. God is the, like in, in, in Joseph's case, God is the one who gives interpretations. It's really interesting that with Joseph, he came alongside somebody who had a dream, having been somebody who had a dream, right? So Joseph has this dream, understands what it means, and doesn't see it fulfilled. And he's sitting in this place where there's no hope for seeing that dream fulfilled. And these other people have dreams, and he comes alongside, and he interprets the dream. And then, for one of them, it was really good. 
and he sees them move on into the fulfillment of that dream while he stays in prison. That's not a fun place to be. And yet he did it. He didn't walk away from the opportunity to point them to God. Because they might have forgotten those dreams over the next three days. And when, when the chief cupbearer got promoted and got given life again, they might have gone like, wow, that was a coincidence. Or I feel like I had a dream about this, but I can't remember what it was. Joseph had the opportunity to point them towards this. When you see this happen, you're going to know that this is God and God is working because God is the one who gives interpretations. And he had an opportunity to point them towards God. Did you know that in the first... He might have, given, he might have actually been the one that woke them up. Who knows? In the, within the first 10 minutes from when you have a dream, you forget about 90% of it. So who knows? He might have walked in right when they were waking up and saw the really perplexed looks on their faces. And that's what started the conversation. So they might have forgotten most of their dreams by the time that, that the fulfillment happened. But he took the opportunity to point them towards God. Now, a couple weeks ago, I talked about, in Minneapolis, I talked about uh, the birth of a dream. The message was titled, A Dream is Born. And I talked a lot more about the process of even dream interpretation, which uh, Joseph was faithful in here. But where it comes from, I'll just mention a quick kind of outline of it, and there's a lot of different ways to do it, but it's more of the being conscious of it and paying attention. And not just going like, oh, that was weird. Okay get up and you do everything, and then at like halfway through the day, you're like, I feel like I had a dream and it was important. I mean, I've had dreams where I've written songs in the dream. I woke up one morning, it was like five in the morning, I woke up and I had this amazing song. The whole thing, I knew verse, chorus, bridge, the whole thing, all the chords for it. It was awesome. Best song that's ever been written in the world, I'm sure. And, and I said to myself, because I'd actually had a pen and paper next to the bed, to write these kind of things down if, if I ever felt God was speaking something to me in the night. This is so amazing, I will never forget it. And I'm tired. I'm going back to bed. I went back to bed and I forgot pretty much all of it. All I remembered were the first few notes of the song and the general feeling of the song. So I tried to, afterwards, I tried to write based on the first like four measures. It's really hard to write a song based on the first four measures. It didn't turn out the same, and I'm, I'm sure that's why it's not as wonderful as the original was. But part of interpreting dreams is just getting the information by writing it down. You might just want to write down what happened in the dream, what was the main point of the dream, what was going on. And so when, when Joseph came to them, he asked them, what was the dream? So they told him the dream. And then for us... A lot of times we, 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 we get the, 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 the information of the dream and we jump right into application. This is what happened in the dream. Therefore, I need to sell everything that I own and I need to do this and I need to do that or whatever your interpretation of the dream is. I mentioned in the, in the message about a girl that had a vision or had a dream of me riding on a white horse and that was her interpretation automatically and the application was to come to me and tell me about this and that I was supposed to marry her. And, uh, and I said, you know, God's got to talk to me first. And uh, that never happened. So one of us wasn't hearing from God. But that we tend to jump from getting the information to going right to the application. And sometimes we skip the interpretation part. So just going through that information, 
interpretation. What does it mean? And not just jumping to assume, I know what that means. But going back to God, because all interpretation comes from God. Going back to God, God, what does this mean? Being diligent with it, just like you would with a prophetic word. If you feel like a dream is coming from God, then being diligent with it. And if it's not from God, then just get rid of it and move on. And then application. Now, what am I supposed to do with it? And not just going like, oh, this means this. Therefore, I'm going to go tell Sam I'm going to marry him. No. Maybe it's your application of that is go pray about it. Maybe it's go fast. Maybe it's go tell a friend and make sure that they, you know, talk to them about it. And they say, dude, you're crazy. That was a pizza. That's not God. And so walk through the process and don't just automatically assume. So anyway, but I believe that God speaks. He speaks through dreams. Job actually repeatedly said that he speaks again and again while we're sleeping. So God will speak through dreams, but we just have to listen, kind of like we would with a prophetic word, and discern, is this information from God, from myself, or from the enemy? And then if it's from God, what's the interpretation? And once we've got the interpretation, now, God, what's the application? What am I supposed to do with this now that I know this? Be faithful to even with dreams or supernatural or praying for people or as you're serving people, pointing people towards God. So how can you point God, how can you point people towards God where you're at? You know, you think of your dungeon. Think of the place that, where you're feeling trapped. How could you in that place be pointing people to God? What's in your life that hasn't yet been fulfilled that you see other people are on their way towards that where you can come alongside of them and point them towards God but also encourage them in the process? And he was in this place of hopelessness and yet he knew that the dungeon wasn't forever. He didn't lose hope. David at one point in his life, faced a similar situation. And he wrote this, and this was a verse that was with me this week. So I wanted to share this with you. David wrote that God's anger is but for a moment, but his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry or endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. The darkness of the dungeon, that's not forever. Don't lose hope. Hold on, because he who promised is faithful, and he will deliver you from that place, whatever it is. Whatever that place of, that, that might feel like a dungeon is for you now, or even in the future if you find yourself in a place of going, God, what are you doing? I thought you said you were going to do this, and now I'm, 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 I'm in this place where I, there's no, it's not physically possible to see the fulfillment of the dreams that you've given me, of the vision that you've given me, of the calling that you've given me. Don't lose hope. He who promised is faithful. He said that he won't leave you or forsake you. He will be with you in that place. He is with you in that place. If you're there right now, he is with you because even as we were singing a minute ago, nothing can separate from the love of God. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. So, Norm, if you want to come up with with whoever's coming up with the worship team with you. And I want to encourage you tonight. Uh, tonight, I'm used to talking about nighttime. I want to encourage you this morning. I had to, yeah, it's a whole other routine to get up in the morning, get the kids ready, and get to church on time than doing it in the afternoon. I want to encourage you this morning, afternoon now. Don't lose hope. 
God is with you. Don't lose hope. And I want to challenge you. Be faithful wherever you are. Be faithful to serve with the gifts that God has given you. Be faithful to point people towards God in whatever situation you find yourself in. We're going to respond with worship, and we're going to, we're going to take a few minutes just to respond. And I want to invite you, the, the altars are open. If you're in a place of feeling any lack of hope or a place of darkness, a place where you find yourself in a place of disappointment, I want to invite you to come down or where you're at. Begin to seek the God who is with you. The God who loves you. The God who said he's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. But the altar is open if you want to come and pray or receive prayer. He is the God who is with us. We're going to take a few minutes to respond as we close our time together. I want to invite you to respond this morning. Respond to his invitation. The God of all hope. His invitation to receive that hope. To receive his light. To receive his love. He is the God who is with us. He is the God who is with you. Even though right now you may be saying it doesn't feel like it. Why would you let these things happen, God? He's the God who is working all things together for your good. According to the greatness of his love, the greatness of his plan, he even takes the things that the enemy meant for evil and he turns them for good. I want to invite you to respond to his invitation, respond to his love, to his hope this morning. So I want to pray a benediction over you this morning. May the God of all hope comfort you, strengthen you, release you to the plans and the purposes that He has for you. May the power of the Holy Spirit fill you, empower you, to be who He has called you to be even in that place even during those times that feel that you're like you're all alone may He empower you to be who He has called you to be as you go from this place may His kingdom come and His will be done in and through your life may the peace of God that passes understanding Guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. 
In Jesus' name, amen.